Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So, um, see anything good on TV last night? <laughs> <laughs> the news weren't bad. <laughs> I watched something good actually. There's a, a, a new series that's just come on Netflix called Premier League Legends. I don't know if anyone's seen it. And I watched the Thierry Henry episode. And uh, in that episode, Thierry Henry said, and I quote, Arsenal are the club that everyone wishes they supported. Not Arsenal fans. <laughs> Apparently not. Do you, do you wish you supported Arsenal, Toby? Say that again, sorry. Do you wish you supported Arsenal, Toby? Uh, no, not really. I'm, I'm happy with my choice these days. Would, would have been way too emotional the past week. <laughs> Alejandro? Have you read the last statement about Wenger saying that his happiest moment in Europe was when he eliminated Real Madrid in the Champions League? Was it really, yeah? Yeah, he said that. I, I, I would have said, well, that's better than losing a final against Barca with Ole Gerpes and Belletti. <laughs> Everyone know. loves beating Real Madrid. Ten men for 80 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Luis. <laughs> anyway, we'll come back to Arsenal later on, but uh, for, for the time being, uh, welcome to this week's episode of the One Football Podcast. Uh, as Ian mentioned last week, he's going to be away for a few weeks, so I'll be minding the shop in his absence. Uh, my name's Dan Burke. Joining me today in the red corner is Toby Herman. Hello. In the white corner is Alejandro Diago. Hello. And in the sad corner is Lewis Ambrose. Yep, that's me. Uh, as ever, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com. And we'd also be delighted if you'd head over to iTunes, leave a comment, and give us a nice big five star rating uh, or a rating that accurately reflects your opinion. <laughs> Uh, we're going to start today where else but that uh, amazing semi-final clash, well it wasn't too amazing was it actually, between Bayern and uh, Real Madrid on Wednesday evening. Um, I've got a Bayern and a Real Madrid fan in the studio with me, I'll start with the uh, the negatives. Toby, where did it all go wrong? Um, when they didn't manage to score on one of these 17 occasions they had <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> yeah, that's going to hurt you isn't it? Yeah. I thought when, when Robin got off injured, like my first thought was like now Lewandowski is going to drop deep and that's what that was the case and I think on a few occasions he was just um, the player we missed in the box and that's it and one of those days sometimes football is that easy you don't score and you play a side like Madrid they're clinical and then they win the game of course and Alejandro what uh, impressed you most about Real Madrid's performance uh, the, the key moment for me is the change of the, on the second half Isco uh, going out and Marco Sensio entering until that moment Real Madrid was suffering a lot on the sides during the first half you know the first goal came on a mistake from the defence uh, Marcelo tries to tries to wait to the defence of to the attack of Bayern Munich and Joshua Kimmich can run ahead and James give him a ball and scored the first goal, but Marcelo after uh, scores the, the tie with a tremendous kick. But that's the the, the key moment when Sidan changes Isco for Marco Asensio and Marco Asensio and Lucas Vázquez. They both open the sides. They both create danger for Real Madrid on the both sides, and they scored the goal that gives the victory to Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier, Toby. Um, I mean, Bayern could have been three or four nil up. Um, Real Madrid. Uh, sort of scored a goal out of nowhere, didn't they, really? Um, <clears throat> and then when, when Real Madrid had scored, it could have been 2 or 3-1 at half-time. Um, sort of echoes of the, the quarter-final last year. Bayern uh, took the lead in that one. Real Madrid ended up winning 2-1. Um, and, and the game uh, sort of got away from them in the second leg. I think it ended up 6-3, didn't it? Um, why do you think Bayern were so wasteful in front of goal? What was the problem there? Um, it's uncharacteristic, I, isn't it? I think like you get away with it in the Bundesliga and you see Bayern playing not on many um, games where they're as clinical as um, they were, for instance, against Gladbach a few weeks back. They were 1-0 behind and then suddenly they turned it around and 
every chance was a goal. And um, I think that at the moment is the difference between the likes of Liverpool or Madrid, who actually convert their chances and um, probably Madrid won rightfully so. Two individual mistakes led to two goals. I think um, the equaliser from Marcelo, despite it being an amazing goal, um, I think Javi Martinez needs to deal with that ball. And obviously um, Rafinha's pass to, uh, was it um, Asensio, I think, even? Yeah, mm -hmm. um, Asensio was. Yeah, that's two individual mistakes and Madrid is going to punish you for mm -hmm. that. I saw a good tweet at half-time, actually. Somebody said, Real Madrid is the guy you play on FIFA that slides everywhere, does the 360 turn all the time and scores from 35 yards out, all while you're playing total football and hitting the post 12 times. What do you think of that, Alejandro? It's in bad true because Real Madrid is also, I like to say, Real Madrid is the only team that once you put them in the coffin, they can even break the coffin and <laughs> come back again. That's the thing of Real Madrid. When you think it's done, it's over, you don't know why, it comes back. Sergio Ramos spoke about suffering last night. I don't know how much Real Madrid fans really know about suffering, to be honest. <laughs> of course, it's a game where we suffer. It's a game, uh, Champions League games are done for suffering and uh, today I was reading some criticisms on the Spanish press according to performance of Real Madrid saying that only there were the two goals and nothing else more. But uh, these kinds of games, they are also important to win and Real Madrid knows to play these games uh, better than any other team in the world, I think. Um, we mentioned it earlier, it was a great goal uh, from, from Marcelo. Um, I think that, uh, <coughs> that control that he did, that, that trap when he, he brought the ball out of the air just so nonchalantly and stood on the board, you, do you know what I'm talking about there? That was yeah. uh, amazing, wasn't it? Is Marcelo actually still a fullback? He doesn't uh, seem to do much course. defended anymore, does he? He's, uh, he's quite attacking these days. Of course, he's a fullback, but he has also, a, uh, uh, he knows well how to attack. Uh, he was. Uh, he was his successor of Roberto Carlos in his position on Real Madrid. Uh, I don't know if you remember Roberto Carlos playing on Real Madrid, but it was tremendous. Mm -hmm. He had also a tremendous way of shooting uh, free kicks, and Marcelo has copied this way of kicking, not on free kicks, but on tremendous kicking, and that's why the, similar, the, the similarity thing between Marcelo and Roberto Carlos. Yeah. Uh, Bayern started the game without Alaba, Vidal, Coman. Uh, they lost Robin and Boateng in the first half and Javi Martinez towards the end. How much of an effect do you think that had on the on the result and who do you think they missed the most? Well, I didn't think they missed Boateng at all. Um, well, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Yep. Are either right Confirmed this morning. Um, I think Zula played really well. I mm. think he's, he's done a, a good job. I think Vidal was the player we missed most um, because when, when Robin sort of got off injured... Um, as said, Lewandowski had to drop back a lot and I think Vidal would have been the player who sort of filled that gap. James has done a, like, a great game again. I think he played really well. Mm -hmm. But um, he doesn't seem to be as quite as determined as Vidal would be if it comes to getting into the box and actually um, yeah, try to score a goal. Um, mm. Uh, both Benzema and Bale started on the bench for Madrid. Is this the end of the BBC as we know it, Alejandro? Uh, it pro it will probably end the end of the BBC, but we don't know if Zidane maybe they will use it again BBC on the next game. Do you know, uh, we are, the last season where there was a debate about why Zidane is not playing with BBC, why Zidane uh, with all the players available of ben Benzema, Bale, and Cristiano is not playing with both of them. Is that there, there is a reason? It's just it's called meritocracy. You have Lucas Vázquez, that is a tremendous player that is performing well on the training sessions. And yesterday Zidane told him, "Lucas, you are playing." Uh, Lucas Vázquez performed very well. You, there's a there's a stat that I'll let you remark with Lucas Vázquez. Real Madrid hasn't lost any of the games he has with him really? as a starter. Wow. Five victories and three draws. Yeah. 
You've got a bit of a sceptical look on your face there, Lewis, about Lucas Vasquez. It's very Jesse Lingard to me. (laughs) (laughs) The ultimate insult. (laughs) And I think we'll just leave it there. Um, and a guy who didn't have a particularly good night for Bayern was Thiago in the field. Do you think he has much of a future at the club? He's been linked away with a move this summer, potentially. Um, obviously, Munich is getting Goretzka in. Um, so it's going to be either Thiago or Vidal leaving, I'm pretty sure. Um, that, depending on what the new manager actually prefers, like from the type of personality, I would say Vidal. But um, what manager in the world would not want to have a player like Thiago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that yeah. was... Probably his worst game yet for Munich. I mean, I've seen him playing five, six passes that didn't get where they're supposed to be. And that was, um, that was actually a very rare thing. But then again, maybe if City wants to buy a decent <laughs> amount of money and we all know Pep loves him, um, well, why not? But the thing is that Thiago, we saw yesterday playing with Munich, it was the one that gives 100 passes, but no one of that 100 of them is accurate. It's uh, they uh, they it was there were many fails on the pass from Thiago Alcantara and that's a thing uh, Bayern has Bayern uh, missed last night. Uh, we were in Spain. It was said that uh, Thiago Alcantara was being the the the, the, the continued man of Xavi Hernandez, mm. but after the game of, of yesterday. I don't know if Thiago Alcantara should be uh, the on 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 as the, the continue of Xavi Hernandez and in, even starting on the starting lineup of of the Spanish national team in Russia. Mm. But I don't know whether that's the first time you've seen him play football. But he usually is not no, that no. bad. He's not that bad, of course. I have seen. I know that's that's why I I I was. Uh, really astonished about how bad he did yesterday. I think that's the thing. It was just one game, and as Toby says, it's probably he wasn't rubbish yesterday. It's probably his worst game, worst big game for Bayern yeah. at least. It's the the difference that he usually makes in midfield. Mm. I don't know if his role is a little bit different when Hammers is playing, and then he's not quite as I involved think, on the ball yeah, as he would be he, next to Vidal. Like Hammers does what Thiago used to do. Like yeah. he plays in midfield and he can do whatever he wants, and like Thiago. Now he's got some some the manager's given him a job and usually he didn't do that. Like it's just get on the pitch, play football. But you can't have two players doing that, like Hamilton and Thiago. So one of them um has to work for the team and maybe a yeah, right that doesn't suit him. Lewis watching the game as a neutral, did you think there was a bit of a lack of quality on the pitch last night? It was a lot of stray passes and Yeah, we watched this uh in the office last night and I said at one point in the I think it's about half time, coming up to half time. I think the the group of semi finalists this year, I think it's the weakest Champions League semi finalist group of talent or good sides. I think they're at their lowest level for about mm. a decade probably. Uh, the years of Guardiola's Barcelona, Guardiola's Bayern, Simeone's Atletico who've been there the last few years. I think Real Madrid are worse this year than the last two years under Zidane. And I think the Champions League as a whole, it might be, it's more interesting this way, not to see the same teams (laughs) necessarily, but yeah, I think the level's dropped across Europe. Mm. So would you think maybe there's a a sort of um, a problem with the the sort of lack of quality in the Bundesliga that Bayern are playing every week that sort of lulls lulls them into a false sense of security and makes them think they're perhaps a better team than they actually are? I think so. Like, I said it early on. Like sometimes the Bundesliga, like if you have a ton of chances and you only win one or two, no, you really get away with it. But um, if you if it comes to the Champions League semi final, uh, you make mistakes, you don't score goals. A team like Madrid will punish it, even though they might not be as good as they were last year or the season before. 
Um, and I think a bigger problem is there's sort of a lack of pressure. Like Munich doesn't play a great deal of like big teams mm. on a sort of regular basis. Like, you know, it's different in La Liga, like yeah. um, it's different in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And I think if it comes to the business end, um, that might actually be an issue, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were saying, I found it strange when, as soon as Real Madrid made it 2-1, people were saying the tie's over now, that's it. I mean, that's <laughs> surely not the case, is it? No, I think Real Madrid are obviously the favourites now, but you'd be an idiot to say Bayern Munich can't win anywhere by two goals. Mm-hmm. If Bayern Munich turn up and have a day where everybody's on top form, of course they could beat Real Madrid 2-0. Juventus showed how vulnerable Madrid could be uh, in the second leg of the quarterfinal. I was going to ask about that, Alejandro. Is that a bit of a worry for Real Madrid that uh, the, the Juventus second leg, the way they squandered that three-goal lead? That you know, this mm. how are they going to counteract that in the second leg? Do you think? Not a worry, but the thing is, Real Madrid will learn from that game. Real Madrid will learn that on a game that uh, he had many chances uh, against Juventus, they didn't score any one of the chances. Real Madrid has learned of that that he should score as soon as possible in order just to save some goals in not to suffer all during all the game because uh, if they don't score you can have the game uh, a similar game to Juventus in Bernabeu Stadium. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think Bayern need to do to, to wrestle this back in the I'm way? actually really worried that um Bayern is going to get battered at the Bernabeu like um I thought about this yesterday and I, I haven't seen Cristiano Ronaldo not playing well over two legs and he hasn't <laughs> played well last night so I'm kind of worried about him yeah. next week. Um, but yeah, as Lewis said, like it's a decent team and um, they've they've done it before. Um, last year, the second um, leg at the quarterfinal, um, they gave us something for our money and I think they will do that again mm. next week. Who's your gut instinct on who's going to go through here, Lewis? Oh, you've got to go for a Madrid mm-hmm. leading after the away leg, I think. Yeah, well, uh, on Tuesday we saw another brilliant game. Uh, Liverpool put, w- put one foot <coughs> firmly in the final by beating Roma 5-2 at Anfield. Um, before the game, I saw that Kevin Strootman said Roma had a special plan for dealing with Mohamed Salah. Uh, any idea what that plan was? <laughs> it didn't work, whatever it was. <laughs> I don't think you can plan to deal with a player who's playing as well as Mohamed Salah is this season. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think... Well, I don't want to draw comparisons, but... Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi over the years, they've scored when they want or if not so much they've scored when they want. When they're playing well, you can't do anything to stop them and I think Salah, at least at the moment, is in that bracket. Yeah, I think I actually had a dream last night that Salah left Liverpool. That's how much he's getting on my nerves at the moment. <laughs> uh, he scored two on the night, the first of which was an incredible goal. and That's now seven consecutive matches in which he scored 43 for the season. Um, it goes without saying, but he's been an absolute revelation, hasn't he? Did you ever imagine that he would be this good? No, I thought Salah would be... I thought it was a really good signing for Liverpool. I did not see this coming. I don't think anyone saw this coming. He scored about 15 goals for Roma last season. It's obviously, it goes to show how much a different system, a different manager can get so much more or something different out of individuals. Uh, Because, yeah, there was these quotes during the week, John Henry basically saying Roma were taking the piss, asking them to pay the price that they did. (laughs) And I think the Roma chairman actually bought John Henry lunch over the negotiations (laughs) because he was upset that he was having to pay so much for Salah. I don't think he'll mind now. It's an absolute bar. I mean, his his value is probably quadrupled this season. Yeah, and they got a bit lucky and it happened before the name, or lucky or smart, it happened before the Neymar deal, so Mm -hmm. before the entire market seemed to go a bit crazy. Yeah, But... Yeah, it's one of the bargains of football history, probably, yeah. if you look at the rate players are going for at the moment. <laughs> I feel like his development is amazing because I've seen some quotes from his former teammate. I can't quite remember who it was. Jan Sommer? 
I think. When he played with Basel, yeah. um, he said something like, like it's amazing how um, dangerous he's become in front of the goal. Because like, back in the days at Basel, uh, even in training, like he would never score a goal because he couldn't, he didn't know how. And suddenly he's like, yeah, he's doing it for fun. It's hard to say, isn't it, how much of it is confidence or just a feeling that he's going to score as he goes through on goal mm. or how much of it is actually something he's worked on and developed. And he's just got... Grown up, I guess, as well. He's at Basel when he was, what, 21, 22? It's like, it's hard to... I guess it's a mixture of all those things that made him so much more dangerous in front of goal. But uh, the second goal, for example, as soon as he was through, you had no doubt he was going to score. Yeah. He doesn't even seem to celebrate anymore, does he? <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> yeah, he's bored of it. <laughs> it's too I don't easy. know if that was a mark of hashtag respect to his uh, former I think employer. So. Or, yeah. I think so. Uh, I, I, would, I would go mad if I scored in a <laughs> Champions League semi-final, no matter who I was playing <laughs> against. Playing against my family. <laughs> We've had a question from a listener, uh, Tanash Yogendranathan. Easy for you to say. Uh, he says, does he need to win the Champions League to be in with a shout for the Ballon d'Or or has he already done enough? It seems to be how these things work, doesn't it? It's whoever wins the Champions League or someone who wins the World Cup will probably win the Ballon d'Or. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that. If you're playing for Barnsley and you score 300 goals, you should probably be crowned <laughs> the best player in the world even if they don't win anything. It's not, <laughs> it's not your fault. Someone in the office yesterday was saying it'll all depend on what he does at the World Cup. But he's like, he plays for Egypt. He can't be expected <laughs> to do that much, can he really? Like, yeah, no, I think they've got Saudi Arabia, Russia and Uruguay in their group. So I guess Egypt could make it out of the group. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go on to win the World Cup or anything. Probably not. Makes it four mm-hmm. games to shine. No, but the thing is, the, the Champions League is a competition that maybe defines which one is the most determinant player in, in the world. Uh, during a season, and that's and that's why if in Mo Salah wins the Champions League, maybe he'll have a chance to win Ballon d'Or. If he doesn't win the Champions League, I'm sorry, but uh, he won't he won't be able. To I, win. I don't I don't think he'll win it. I just think it's a slightly unfair way of doing the award. I mean, he could play for Panathinaikos; he'd still be the exact same footballer. Whether or not you're the best footballer in the world, Panathinaikos never win the Champions League. Mm-hmm. If you put Messi and Salah there; they wouldn't win it. And I'm not sure that's the right way to go about awarding an award. It's not the best player who plays on the team that won something big. Mm. As Kevin De Bruyne will testify. <laughs> <laughs> he was robbed. Uh, I mean, it wasn't just Salah on Tuesday night. Um, Roberto Firmino and Sadio Mane were both excellent as well. Uh, Mane perhaps to a slightly lesser extent. Um, is there a better front three in the world football than those at the moment? No. I don't think there is. No, is there? I don't think so. I can't think of anybody. And it's it, again, it's it's the way that Klopp has them playing as well. I think if you gave that front front three to other managers, and think like Antonio Conte or something or Max Allegri, it wouldn't look the same. But the style just suits all three of them absolutely perfectly, and what he's getting out of them. I don't think any other coach in the world could probably get as much out of any of them. Mm. First team in Champions League history to have three players scoring eight plus goals in the tournament. It's quite incredible, isn't it? And James Milner has the most assists does, in a yeah. season in <laughs> Champions mad, League history it? as the well. The has gone absolutely <laughs> mad. Uh, Roma started the game quite well, I thought. Uh, first 25 minutes, uh, and they were probably the better team. Kolarov hit the crossbar, and uh, you know perhaps things could have been a bit different if that had, uh, if that had gone in. Um, but they seem to be playing a bit of a risky strategy. Um, I would have, uh, you know, if it was me, I would have perhaps been a bit, little bit more defensive, part of the bus there. Do you think it was a method to De Francesco's I madness? I think it was a... I think they probably went to fight fire with fire and thought if they scored an early away goal it would maybe shut Anfield up possibly they could score the early away goal and then sit back it, but I, yeah it was far too risky they were playing three at the back and you expect maybe one of the wing backs to be bombing forward but every time Roma got the ball both of them were and they were just completely exposed three against three at the back it was never going to last mm. 
I mean, yeah, is anybody is anybody capable of stopping Liverpool scoring? However, you I I think yeah, I I don't think it was a bad idea. I think you should probably go, especially at Anfield, and try and score more than they do. But one thing to recognise is probably Liverpool seem to play in waves. So we've seen it against City in the last round. We've seen it in the Premier League this season as well. They'll have ten fifteen minutes where they might look like they're going to score five or six times, and then everything slows down again a bit. And I think Roma didn't recognise when that wave was coming that it was time to shut up shop, wait for it to pass and then try and go again afterwards. Mm. Yeah. I think there's a strong case to be made that Liverpool have been the best team in the Champions League this season. Whether that means they'll actually win it or not remains to be seen. Um, but why do you think that they're so good in Europe but they can't do it on a uh, dry Saturday in West Bromwich? <laughs> the pitch was very dry. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's a strange one. I think the furious it's similar to what we saw at Dortmund at times the furious style of football means sometimes when it works it works brilliantly and when it doesn't there isn't an alternative it's plan the same with Dortmund like if they play exactly. teams from the uh, bottom half of the table like and they just sat back and like club teams they don't actually know how to play football they know it's like <laughs> run 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 that's what I do and they do it brilliantly but once um, yeah West Bromwich and the likes come along they just sit back and wait and um, I think Roma should have done that at least in the away game because you've got every chance to score on a counter attack and then you get your away goal and possibly don't have to Klopp said he said years ago my team doesn't need to be the best team in the world we just need to be able to beat the best team in the world Mm. and I think that sums up the the problems quite well actually is they they like to play against teams that are better than them. It was the same at Dortmund. They like to play against teams that will play football because then it gives them something to break. When West Brom just come and pluck everyone behind the ball, there's there's nothing to break. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to disrupt. And that's what they're all about, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, Roma gave themselves a bit of a glimmer of hope with those two late goals. Is there, is there any way back for them in the second leg, do you think? I can't see it. Barcelona went to the Stadio Olimpico and basically sat back and defended their three-goal lead and Liverpool definitely won't do the same thing. Yeah. Guys, see any way back for I Roma? I think uh, Roma had a chance if they repeat uh, what they did against Barcelona, but I don't know if, if in football miracles can repeat two times. That's the thing. Uh, it scares me a little and that's the thing I think Roma ca- uh, will not uh, be on the final of the Champions League. I don't think it's going to happen. No, like, I um, would put my life on Liverpool scoring at yeah. least once in the second yeah. leg. So, yeah. How would how would you two feel about potentially facing Liverpool in the final? It, if Real Madrid uh, faces Liverpool in the final, it will be a reddition of the 1981 final that Real Madrid loses and it will be the chance for this uh, generation of players of Real Madrid to revenge one of the most historical teams of Real Madrid history, that is the uh, Real Madrid of the Garcias, <laughs> uh, the one that had Jose Antonio Camacho, uh, Garcia Ramon, Vicente del Bosque, some of all the most mythical players in Real Madrid, and they will have the chance to revenge them on that final in Kiev. Wow, that's something, isn't it? I wouldn't like it that it's much a rousing speech. <laughs> Playing Liverpool, a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, you'd, you'd rather play Roma. I probably would. I mean, we know like Klopp never does as well on just one game, like on the final. Like um, he's like a sort of two leg um, manager, I feel. But um, yeah, I'm referring to 2013 here, Lewis. Oh, I think it's six finals in a row actually that he's lost. Six or seven finals in a row, oh. Jurgen Klopp's lost since 2012. Mm. Yeah, could be. I think three with Dortmund, three with Liverpool. 
Not it's got to end one, eventually, though. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> law of averages dictates that. Um, just a quick word on uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, suffered knee ligament damage early in the game. He's going to be out for the rest of the season and the World Cup. How disappointed are you on his behalf? On his behalf? <laughs> I imagine he's more disappointed than I'm I sure am. I'm sure he is, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's never nice to see a player suffer, not just an injury, but a really serious injury, which is what it looks like. Mm. Um and it's even worse if you, it means their World Cup's over before it's even started. Yeah. Especially it happened to him four years ago as well. He got injured right before the World Cup in Brazil. Um, so you've got a feel for the guy. Yeah. And he just hit a run of form as well. It's happened a few times through his career. He just seems to start to get into a stride and then injury strikes. I have to hold my hands up about the Ox because I uh, I was pretty vocal about saying that I didn't rate him at all when he went to Liverpool and he's really proved me wrong this season actually. So I feel quite sorry for him. I probably shouldn't draw attention to this, but I also said on the podcast earlier in the season that Liverpool wouldn't do anything this season with uh, with the defence and the goalkeeper that they've got. And again, I've been made to look stupid. Loris Carius listens to the podcast. He must do, yeah. <laughs> can only assume that's the case. Last week, Arsene Wenger shook the world when he announced he'd be stepping down after 22 years as Arsenal manager. Uh, funnily enough, Lewis and I were discussing his possible departure over a few beers the night before and... Uh, like Loris carries, it's almost like he was listening to us. <laughs> um, so Lewis, as a, as a lifelong Wenger disciple, um, how did you uh, sum up how you felt when the, the news filtered through last Friday? It was very strange. I don't know, you, you don't know what to compare it to. Um, I've seen people compare it to different things. People saying it felt like a family member had died almost, mm. or uh, one friend of mine. It's like the Queen died. Like, <laughs> you you know it's going to happen one day, but it's still a massive shock. <laughs> Suddenly it's all over the news. Everybody's texting you about it. Um, yeah, my phone lit up. How many Premier League titles has the Queen won? <laughs> not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, not when she's been in charge for so long. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was very, very strange. You knew the day would come, as what you say we were speaking about it mm-hmm. just before. Um, but no matter how long away it is or how soon it is, I don't think you can prepare yourself for it. it for a good 24 hours, it felt like it, me and everyone I know sort of described it as we were mourning something. Yeah, yeah. And Wenger himself actually said in his press conference on Sunday, I don't need to die anymore because I know what it is. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's sort of been treated almost as a bit of a funeral he mm. got an editorial in the guardian it's very very strange yeah that's weird isn't it well he said himself didn't he at the um the game against west ham last weekend he said now i know what it feels like to go to my own funeral exactly yeah <laughs> um now the dust has settled a little bit how, how are you feeling about it is there is there a sense of excitement uh, about sort of stepping into the the brave unknown uh not for me i i don't know there's there is there's a lot of intrigue, I think, moving forward, who it will be, what Arsenal will look like from now, because Arsenal for the last 20 years has been a football club built in the image of one man. It's not, you know, and it's only grown and grown over time, obviously. I think I don't think any excitement or anticipation will really kick in until we know who the new manager is, which will be, I presume, at the end of the season. I think before then, everybody's just dreaming of a... European a send off with a European trophy 
and then yeah, getting through the rest of the Premier League season. I mean, nothing really rides on Arsenal's games now, so it's a bit of a strange atmosphere. It'll be yeah. quite the anticlimax if the club don't manage to make the Europa League final. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that. Actually, do you think there's a, a sense that this might sort of uh, galvanise the club and, and get everyone behind the team for this uh, Europa League semi-final and push them on to win it? It now? can't hurt, can it? No. <laughs> it, it? The players have all given really nice tributes. The fans. I think there's a. We're speaking on Thursday morning, so there's a big flag display planned for the first leg of the semi-final against Atletico tonight. Um, fans are being urged to get to the stadium early. The Emirates has not, never had a big reputation for raucous atmospheres. If they can't create one tonight, I don't think there will ever be one at the mm. stadium. For you know, it's obviously it's the Europa League, but it's a European semi-final. It's Arsene Wenger's last European home game. It's the last chance to send him off with a trophy as well. If the crowd can't get behind the team for this one, then there's no chance. Yeah, um, Wenger's dropped a few hints here and there about uh, the possibility that he might have been sort of pushed out of the job rather than it being wholly his decision. Do you have any theories on that? Yeah, so it it does sound a lot like I think when you listen to the press conference from after the West Ham game on Sunday, it's the first time he faced the media after the statement was released. He does not sound at all like a man who's ready to stop. He never has. He's incredible at 68 years old. I think about a decade before retiring, Sir Alex Ferguson wasn't on the training pitch every day anymore. He was having meetings with coaches like Carlos Quiros and René Mullenstein and sending them onto the training ground to sort of give the sessions. Wenger's still out there every single day of the week. The guy goes home and watches football, whatever football's on in France, in Germany. He goes into training the next morning and talks about whatever football he watched last mm. night with his coaching staff and his players. He's definitely not ready to stop. He did say that the other day, though, didn't he? That he doesn't want to stop. Like, he doesn't yeah, want to retire yeah. yet. Um, yeah, there's no I way. There's a few people in Munich probably kicking themselves now. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been waiting for a week or two. Uh, Would you have had him at Munich, do you think? I'd, you? I'd love to have him. Yeah. I think he's a great manager and like um, I think what he's done for the past 22 years at Arsenal is it's amazing. Um all my respect for that man and I think um, we all miss him sort of it's going to be weird to see <laughs> yeah Arsenal. it will be strange it, um, yeah, the not, football club yeah. won't look like the same club yeah. anymore I mean I'm, I'm a bit yeah. older than you um, I don't remember Arsenal no. without him and um, it's, it's going to be strange yeah yeah it's going to be very strange because even if uh, the last season they were the best uh, with Arsenal uh, we were seeing that Maybe Arsene Wenger was overcome by the modern tactics and modern things of uh, modern football. Uh, what we have to we what we have to value is that Wenger uh, changed the way of Arsenal, changed the way of a boring Arsenal that was playing one nil Arsenal. They were call him, they were calling them uh, to uh, Arsenal that they they treat the ball very well. They become the invincible Arsenal in the 2000, 2003 and two thousand and it was a quite a tremendous transformation what Wenger did in Arsenal. Um, I mean, there's also been a bit of talk with Wenger that he, uh, you know, the, the, some of the treatments wasn't for the fans. He found it quite hurtful. And um, do you think that influenced his decision? And yeah, do you think that uh, the sort of the way the fans reacted to him was justified? Looking back on it, or, or? Uh, so I think it's definitely influenced the decision. I think. Wenger is in such a strong position at Arsenal that if and without fans turning on him, the board never could have, I don't want to say pushed him out, but never could have not given him a new contract at any point. And I think that's probably what this was. I think he was probably told, we're looking for managers, you won't get a contract after next season. And I think that's probably what's pushed this decision forward. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I think th- there's been a lot of abuse for a long time now, and I don't think any of it's ever been justified. The, the disrespect, the manner of which people have voiced their concerns or their complaints has been horrendous, in mm. my opinion. Uh, and I mean, the, the words "venger out" pretty much sort of transcended the sport. Uh, yeah, the they've become. <laughs> they've become. Every you would go, you would see like I've, I, obviously I, I understand, appreciate where other people find it funny, but I think that's actually the deciding factor. So there have been venger out banners, there have been complaints for a long time within Arsenal. When you start seeing political rallies around the world where it's become a meme, or you'll see a game in Australia mm. where someone will have a venger out fan watching. God knows who, Melbourne City FC <laughs> or something. And I think that is, Wenger talked about on Sunday, uh, the global image of the club yeah. being damaged by the disunity. And I think that's what it is. Arsenal, have, his situation has become a meme around the world yeah. and not just in football. And that's really the big issue. And I think that's probably what's forced this mm. to happen now. Arsenal Fan TV have got a lot to answer for, haven't they? I want to see him on Arsenal Fan TV next year <laughs> saying that Luis Enrique should be sacked immediately. <laughs> I want to see Arsene Wenger unload everything on everyone else who's ever been on that programme. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Luis Enrique there. Um, who do you think will be there, the next manager and who would you like to be the next manager? Luis Enrique appears to be a front runner. I think that's would be a very brave choice. Um, I, there's, there's no surefire thing after... A manager has been in charge for so long. I think the, there are a lot of parallels, obviously, with Sir Alex Ferguson leaving Manchester United. I think a one big difference is that Man United were league title winners mm-hmm. when he left, and Arsenal are sixth with the players they have, the budget the club has. It would it would need something disastrous to finish lower than sixth, and for that reason, I would go for a risk. I don't think you can't risk something when you're third in the league and you're in the Champions League every year. You can't risk something when you're champions. Mm-hmm. I would roll the dice now because it can't get much worse. And if you go for Patrick Vieira or Mikel Arteta, two former captains being linked with the job without elite managerial experience, I guess, go for one of them. And if it doesn't work out in two years, then give them a two year contract. They can leave at the end of it and you try again. Yeah. Do you think it's possible that? Or, or would it be a good idea that Vieira and Arteta could kind of share the job, I, learn from each other? I don't think they would have an interest in it. No. I can't see Arteta leaving Manchester City and Guardiola's side not to be the manager. And Vieira as well, he spent time with the development squad at Manchester City and now in MLS as a manager. And I think his next step will be just to be a manager in Europe. Yeah. Anyway, looking back on, on Wenger's reign, what would you say the the highlights and lowlights for you? <laughs> Um, it will always like not winning the Champions League will always be the biggest regret going down to 10 men in the Champions League final that we reached and conceding two late goals that's that's the one that got away mm. um, and the lowlights uh, the biggest stain is the treatment that he's had the last couple of years from fans Did I you think. just describe losing the Champions League final as your highlight by the way lowlight sorry lowlight <laughs> Yeah, I said, as, as an Arsenal what fan, I've, just, I've, I've, I've become accustomed to saying the lowlights and the lowlights. Um, and the highlight is obviously the league titles. An enormous highlight was the FA Cup, nine years after not winning a trophy and the journey to sort of win that FA Cup. Having a star player leave basically every single season, it looked, Wenger probably um, would have resigned that summer had Arsenal not won the FA Cup final against Hull. And to go 2-0 down in the first 10 minutes of the final and turn it around was just 
yeah, you felt happy for Wenger and for everybody, not just for yourself, I think, as a fan that day. Great. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, thanks, guys. It's been emotional. Feels like it's getting a bit dusty in here. Yeah. Um, thank you to our producer, Damo, as always. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening at home. Uh, we'll be back again next week and we'll see you then.